Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. One of the great things about this great program, Open House, is the places it reaches right across Australia and the way we often get the chance to take most of us who live in urban Australia into the heart of Australia, regional, rural, remote. Frontier Services Patrol Ministers cover it all from Cape York, the Nullarbor, Alice Springs, through to the rugged, spectacular west coast of Tasmania. It's a uniting church ministry. They are men and women trained as ordinary ministers for an entirely unique Australian ministry. Just one of these patrols covers 600,000 square kilometres. Most are in four-wheel drives, a couple of them fly a plane. So I'm very glad to have been able to extract one of these patrol ministers from his travels and the Associate National Director of Frontier Services, David Buxton, so they can both be in the Open House studio. David and George Rebolito, welcome to Open House. Thanks very much. Great to meet you. It's a great service. And celebrating your centenary, David, congratulations. Thanks. It's great. Yeah. And we're having a wonderful time. Tell us where this started. Tell us why it started as well. The Presbyterians had some insight in 1912 uh, based on some of the observations of some of their ministers about the needs of people in uh, further out rural areas and certainly in remote Australia. And so... They commissioned a man called John Flynn, uh, many of the listeners will have heard of him, yes. and uh, sent him off to do a report. He did actually two reports, one on the needs of the Aboriginal people and one on the needs of the group that were called the settlers. They were the the white folks, the pastoralists, uh, the travellers, the itinerants who lived uh, way beyond the cities. And he came back, presented his report in 1912 to the Presbyterian Church, and they said... We like your work, John, and by the way, we'd like to appoint you as the director of the Australian Inland Mission. Mm. And so it all began. Yeah. What were the needs that were identified at that time? Well, surprisingly, Lee, they're actually very similar needs. The the isolation, uh, the lack of communication, the access to services, particularly medical services, uh, prompted Flynn to coin the term a mantle of safety. And he believed that the people who lived in remote Australia needed access uh, to that mantle of safety by whatever means was necessary. And, of course, in 1912, we didn't have the electronic communications. Um, The uh, aeroplanes were only just beginning to fly, and uh, most of the travel was either by uh, train or by foot or camel or whatever other means you could get. So... That's where it all started, and we are continuing to find people still need that personal contact, and it's really critical for them to to have people that they can communicate with. And even the modern communication uh, capacity doesn't always uh, connect with or meet with these people. That's dead right too. So what's the range of services that you provide for these people? Well, it's actually quite uh, significant now. We've emerged from the the pastoral ministry and Flynn's vision of bush nursing clinics and hospitals to a whole range of community services. And, in fact, Frontier Services is now the uh, largest provider of aged care beds across remote Australia. And uh, so the services are... um, Many of them are related to health, predominantly in um, the Northern Territory. But in Queensland, there are a lot of children's services as well. Um, 
effectively they would be like mobile kindergartens and, and play groups, um, student group homes. Um, and in Western Australia, things like migrant services, helping those who come in, particularly partners of uh, people who now come in to work in the mines and often don't have much English, um, don't know how to drive a car or to swim or do all those things. And so people within our services connect with these people and help them to get going. And you take church and Christ's love to people where they're at. Absolutely essential. That's the core part of why we do what we do. We love people. We know and believe that God has called us to enable people who live in remote Australia to connect with uh, expressions of faith. But it's usually a very practical kind of faith. Yeah. And uh, quite often there are not four walls and a steep-sided roof to uh, to worship in. Yes. But uh, George and uh, many of our other patrol ministers celebrate wherever we can. Okay. Cue George. George, you're based at Broken Hill and you fly an aircraft out of there. Yes, yes, I do. Tell us where you go. What do you do? Oh, my area extends up to um, from Broken Hill up to the uh, to Cameron's Corner, um, um, across to about Louth on the east, and little little way in the South Australia, not much, and and down to around Mildura in Victoria. And what kind of things do you do other than fly the plane? <laughs> Um, well, you know, the day-to-day stuff is very is different. I mean, every day is different. There, there is um, uh, normally one week in the month where uh, I do most of the chaplaincy work that's done. So I'm a chaplain to a number of isolated and remote schools. Uh, one's only got three kids in it, uh, for example. Wow. So they're they're very they're very isolated. Um, and um, a prison chaplain to uh, to a prison in a place called Ivanhoe. Uh, and also do some aged care work uh, with aged care clients um, in in Ivanhoe and around that area. So that's about a, that's a week's worth of flying around. Yeah, um, and that's the only really established week that happens regularly every month. the The rest of the month is uh, pick a direction and <laughs> and uh, and uh, call the properties in that particular direction and uh, spend some days out there visiting them and helping them do whatever they're. They're up to. Um, sometimes they're working some sheep or cattle, or cleaning up sheds, or um, pruning, and you know they're doing all sorts of things. Yeah. And uh, we, I fly in and uh, sometimes help them do that. So, for those of us in the city, tell us how different they are, or not, I suppose, mm. as Australians in an entirely different world from mm. urban Australia. I mean, certainly the lifestyle is very different to yes. city. I mean, I was running late coming here today because of the traffic. I think on one, <laughs> on one, on one um, short road, I think there was more. There were more cars than in all of Broken Hill. You know. <laughs> I but, believe that. So um, take me with you, George. Ta- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but really, it's um, uh, there are probably two or three things. One, people out there are very open and welcoming. Uh, when I when I went out there. Having lived uh, most of my life in Sydney, I was I was based in Carlingford before before going out there, and um, you know they uh, received me with open arms, uh, very very loving, caring, open people. Um, but also they they feel the effects of isolation and uh, and loneliness a lot more than uh, you would feel in the city. Um, but it's all, but it's a lifestyle choice. Um, you know when you're when you're on a property four hundred kilometres from anywhere. Uh, and the closest property is maybe 120 k's down the road. Um, you know, you you're alone for a long time. Yeah, 
there's also help you provide in the midst of and in the wash-up of natural disasters in mm. Australia. The church has been able to um, supply some funds, some disaster relief funds, the National Assembly, and that's been able to... Um, I've helped distribute that to a number of families that have been uh, very, very adversely affected by the floods. Um, lots of lots of properties have lost um, fencing and um, livestock, uh, but uh, also electricity and... I mean, some of them don't have electricity, you know, connected electricity. They they just use generators. And once the generator's washed away, um, one, they're not cheap to replace. No, no. And uh, two, you, you really can't run anything without a generator. <laughs> no. If I asked you the question, why do you do this, mm. other than the fun of flying a plane, <laughs> why do you do this work? Oh, well, I mean, the simple answer is that that's where God called me. I think that would be the straightforward answer. And, you know, if you want to delve a bit deeper, it's it's about the call and the sort of things that myself as a, as a minister believe is what God wants me to do. Um, there's lots of people out there. They're all God's people. And um, just because they don't go to church on a, on a Sunday uh, doesn't mean that they're not in need of pastoral care or support. The other reason is um, the, the type of services that, get out there there are quite a number of services but to be able to get out to individual properties it's very very difficult and government services do the best they can but generally speaking they don't do the sort of patrolling that the patrol ministers do and we in a week we can visit quite a number of properties particularly in a plane uh, and that and that helps uh, not only with the isolation but also um, in um, critical situations such as uh, mental illness and, uh, and suicide. Suicide's a very big thing in the outback. Yeah. David, one of the things that um, is so noteworthy to me is that much ministry today is judged on numbers. And if you were judging on vast numbers, you would never justify this kind of ministry. So why has it still got a place in the heart of the Uniting Church? Well, and thanks for picking up the, the point about the Uniting Church, Lee. The, when we came together at uh, at Union in 1977 the Presbyterian and Congregational and Methodist churches all said this work is a vital work we, we won't keep calling it the Australian Inland Mission but we will call it Frontier Services yeah. and the the essence of the church's commitment to that was that no matter where people are uh, they still are valued, um, respected and honoured and the church, we, we have been so blessed by people within the church and without the, the church who have said we want to honour the people of remote Australia and uh, as they do with missions in other places overseas and so on and to say these people have, uh, they, they're like us, it's just that they live in a different place and uh, they are valued human beings, they're made in the image of God and as ambassadors for Christ we go to them without worrying about whether we've got two or 20 or 200. And there are some within the church, um, not only Uniting Church, but others who wonder whether that's actually a valid way of using the resources because yeah. resources are becoming scarce. But we have this unique bunch of individuals who are resilient, who love to live on the edge, who can think beyond um, the perhaps uh, tried and true formulas and, and can say, Surely God is in this place, and uh, and then they enable others to identify with that as well. So, yeah. is there one particular story of someone or a circumstance, George, that you can remember in your ministry for Frontier Services 
that strikes you as a good demonstration of why this work exists? Oh, oh, there's quite a few. How long have I got? You know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember first, uh, you know, fairly early on in the piece, um, when I... Uh, uh, when I when when I just started there and started flying around, I got a, I got a phone call from someone down in a little place called Palinua and, and uh, saying that they'd been trying to get their their children baptised for the last two years, and uh, no one wanted to do it because you had to do it in a church, and uh, you know the different denominations would be saying the same thing. I, I didn't ask any questions, so I just flew down there. there eight kids I had to do, <laughs> so I flew twelve hundred kilometres that that weekend and did eight kids. Best in bulk. Yeah, that's well, you know, that's the way they do it. And they yeah. wanted to all the they the parents and the and the grandparents had all been christened or baptised on the shore of the Darling River, and so they wanted to be baptised. Thankfully, not in the Darling, but on the shore there. You know, I was glad to go down and spend three or four days, you know, tripping around trying, you know, baptising these children. Sure. Um, and and it's the work of it's the work of the church. And I don't think it's the work of the church to gather people into a building. It's the work of the church to bless and uh, you know, and 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 honour good things. And these people really wanted their children baptised, and their connection with the church is now through me. And meet people where they are. And meet people where they are, even though my baptism bowl had a hole in it, oh. and uh, it was probably the quickest baptism I've ever done. <laughs> Um, up until that time, I used to I, I was using my wife Susan's salad bowl as a baptismal font, and uh, this guy in another place called Puncheri sold me this wooden bowl that was beautiful, but uh, he didn't tell me that it had some holes in it, and I hadn't used it before. <laughs> then I poured the water in, and there's four kids lined up, and the and the, and, and the bowl's just you know I, I turned back and thought there's no water in the bowl. <sighs> anyway, the little girl at the end came up to me and said Padre, because they call me Padre out there, and she pulled out this big green piece of chewing gum out of her mouth and said, Would this help? <laughs> Or fix it with a bit of wire. Or fix it with a bit of wire. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Classic. David, have you got a story that you could relate to us about this well, great work? Yes, yes, I have, but I, I just wanted to very quickly follow on from, from George. Another one of our patrol ministers baptised 15 children uh, about a month ago in mm-hmm. Queensland. So um, sometimes it's not possible to get access immediately to services, and so they wait, mm-hmm. and then when someone comes, that's appropriate. Yeah, great stuff. We, we have a patrol minister in uh, the Northern Territory who works quite closely with one of our aged care facilities and there are a number of um, old Aboriginal people who who are living in that facility. And uh, our patrol minister, Mitch, has access to a a farm where they um, uh, collect up uh, bush tucker. And so Mitch goes to this particular place and he brings home magpie geese and bits of buffalo and crocodile and and so on. And then he takes the old people from the aged care facility out into the bush and they have a big cook-up and then these old people um, eat the bush tucker and remember uh, the old times and are connected again with the earth in a, a really vital way. And Mitch and others do it too and they just see that this is a... A critical way of helping to to nurture people yeah. at whatever stage they are in yeah. life. It's a beautiful thing. I reckon it's all a beautiful thing. And a, a great treat to learn about it and meet you guys and uh, get you in the studio, especially you, George. That's a treat. <laughs> Just before you go, where could people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Uh, we have got a website and uh, it's www.frontierservices.org. Frontier Services is all one word. Or there is a uh, an inquiry phone number one three hundred seven eight seven two four seven, 
there is a one really good program where sometimes people say, is there any way we can help? And we have a program called Outback Links, okay. which enables volunteers to connect with families who have needs. And if again, if you go to the website and uh, find the link in the website to Outback Links, that will put you through to the people who coordinate that program. Okay. We'll put the link up on our Open House Community Facebook page. Wish you well for your next 100 years. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.